Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and gave his life of his own will and decision? Did you know that he likewise raised himself from the dead? Jesus Christ is God Almighty, equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 10 and look at the incredible love and mercy and power of the Good Shepherd Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Wednesday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully all are just loving on Jesus as we say every single teaching, I think now for a long time, but uh, that's what it's all about, y'all. It's just about, it's about growing to know Jesus, growing to spend time with Jesus. And as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we you know, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so when, when you spend time with Jesus, Jesus is the key to unlock relationship, not only with himself, God the Son, but also with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we want to cultivate our relationship, not just with generic God, all right. Every religion in the world has generic God. Um, I've said it before. We ought to limit the use of our word God and replace it with, you know, with saying Lord Jesus or, you know, Heavenly Father or Holy Spirit. Every religion has the generic word God. In Jesus Christ, God is your your heavenly father. He's your father. I've said this before. We don't, we don't, we don't call our, our fathers or mothers by their first name. You know, if you started, you know, if you started calling your, your father, you know, um, you know, Mark or John or Tom or whatever his name is, you know, undoubtedly he'd be a little taken back. And the reason is, is because He's more than his name that everyone calls him. He's more than his generic name. He's your dad, right? He's your father. And it's the same with our heavenly father. There's obviously nothing wrong with saying the word God, right? Um, just simply put, it's better to use the relational terms the scriptures give us. You know, I certainly will, will use the word God as certainly the Bible does all over the place, but in order to grow in your relationship with your father, you're going to need to know him as your father, not just as, as God, right? Um, we have a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three separate beings, okay? They're all God. They all have the nature of God. They're all eternal. They were never created. They were never made. They were never born. They never came into existence. They created existence, if that makes sense. Um, they're all omniscient. They know everything, which means they can't learn anything. Uh, they're all omnipotent, omnipotent. That means they can do anything. And they're all omnipresent everywhere at all times. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So to grow in relationship with Jesus, you have to 
you have to talk to him. And again, if you listen to the the vast majority of the conversations in the body of Christ, the vast majority of sermons, God, 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 God. Again, Muslims have God. Uh, Hindus have God. Buddhists have God. Um, New Age people have their God. It doesn't mean anything. It's only in Jesus Christ that we have relationship with God and we have relationship where God is our Father. We have relationship with Jesus Christ, God the Son. And he's our Lord and our Master and our King and our Friend and our Savior and our God, right? And we have relationship with God the Holy Spirit, who's our guide, our counselor, our comforter. So start start cultivating relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And And individually spend time and you pray. You can pray to any member of the Trinity. It's a good thing. We ought to do it. They're all God. They all hear your prayer. Um, We praise and worship every member of the Trinity. We thank every member of the Trinity. And we're better off when we do it, you know, and individually, instead of just saying, thank you, God, say, Father, I do thank you. They don't get jealous, by the way. So if you talk to the Father too much, Jesus doesn't get jealous. And if you talk to the Holy Spirit too much, the Father doesn't get jealous, right? Um, So begin to cultivate your relationship with each member of the Trinity. All right, so today, Lord willing, the last teaching was, you know, I didn't know this until I was done, but it was quite long. So today we're going to do John 10. Hopefully I can get through 11 to 21. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll read it, and we will get rolling. John 10, 11 to 21. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the living word of God. We thank you for the holy scriptures. We thank you that we get to have this book, this Bible, this word of God, Father. It's just, golly, it's amazing that we just get to have these words on this page. And it's you communicating with us. It's uh, it's a privilege, Father, that we that we cannot give thanks enough for. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, dying that horrible, torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are indeed alive and risen today. And we worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word, give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. John 10, 11 to 21. I am the good shepherd, Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Verse 19, at these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thank you, Lord Jesus. You remember the entire chapter of John 9 was Jesus healing the, the man born blind, giving him his sight. And we did five teachings on that, I believe. And now here in verse 10, it's the conversation is continuing on. And, it, you know, it's probably within the last 30 minutes that Jesus is continuing to speak. He's speaking to the religious leaders. Um, and he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is called the good shepherd. Um, and, and the good shepherd, he said, lays down his life for the sheep. Um, you and I can lay down our lives and, you know, we can lay down our lives metaphorically. Um, Jesus laid down his life and was completely unselfish for the needs of others uh, the entire 33 and a half years or so he he was on the earth. Um, I had heard it said by uh, that that it's been said that some of the old church fathers when asked what was the the greatest you know um, virtue of Jesus, the greatest quality in Jesus and some would say his love, his grace, his mercy, all those things and they said no no, the greatest virtue of Jesus was his, selflessness, that he was selfless, which stands in contrast to our biggest problem as human beings, which is, of course, our selfishness. We are, we're selfish. We have a sinful nature, every one of us, and that nature drives us to want our own way, just to consistently, uh, you know, desire, you know, what we like. Um, to, to pursue our preference at the expense of, any, of everything else. Um, and so Jesus is, is selfless, utterly and completely. God, God the Son, Jesus, left heaven and became a human man for us. The selflessness in that is indescribable, right? To go from being God in heaven to take on a human flesh, and now you're the God-man. He's still fully God, but now he's also fully human. And to, at some level, limit himself in his deity. You know, uh, he, he placed some of his deity on the shelf. Um, he's still fully God, but he allowed himself to live his life as a man um, and go through what we do as, as humanity, as men and women. It's inconceivable. The goodness of that is, is inconceivable. I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the only good shepherd. Now as pastors and ministers and, and uh, disciplers and as leaders in the church, 
And by the way, all of us need to grow to be leaders in the church. It's every single Christian's job to grow up and be a leader in the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean a church building. Whatever church you go to, yes, it's, it's important for you to be a good leader there. But I mean a leader in the church universal, the body of Christ. Just to grow up to where you're building up other believers, encouraging other believers, leading other believers in the word of God and growing in their relationship with Jesus, the son of God. And where you're leading in that. It's every believer's job to grow up to where they're they're pouring more into Christ more and more and not only just receiving, you know, from, you know, from, from others. Ah, that's good. Decaf. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So obviously Jesus, Jesus gave his life for us. Um, we are called again, his sheep. A sheep is one of the dumbest animals in the world. It's not an accident. You may have heard this, right, Scott? You are called a sheep here, Scott. A sheep is one of the dumbest animals ever. I am called a sheep. We are all called sheep. Jesus is the shepherd and, and we are the sheep. And again, it's not an accident that this, this metaphor is used. Um, and Jesus gave his life for us. He gave his life for us because as sheep, like sheep tend to do, we wandered off into the sweet by and by, Tom, just floated off and, uh, you know, just, just into all kinds of sin. All humanity, every human being, every sheep, has fallen and wandered off into sin. And the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, came into the world that he could round us all up, gave his life for us. And all he's asked us to do is to trust him and receive him as our Lord and Savior. Jesus is the only good shepherd who, whose life, the life that he laid down was sufficient and, a, and effective for the forgiveness of the sins of the entire world, of all humanity. Uh, again, many a good man or good woman have often given their lives on behalf of others, which, which is, is incredible. But they're able to, to lay down their life for the sheep. I was studying this, and, and Charles Spurgeon made it. Man, he, all, he always makes great points. But he, he made a point that, um, you know, ultimately, all human beings, you and I, are going to die. And, you know, we are going to leave this life. And, and once we entered the world, because we have a sinful nature... Even as Christians, ultimately, we will die one day unless Jesus comes back. Now, we may die early if we lay down our life in some way or another for others, right? If we, if we selflessly lay down our lives from others, we will, you know, we'll die sooner than we would have. But ultimately, it's coming. Um, it just may have come a little sooner if, if we have laid down our life for others. But Jesus's would not have. 
Jesus would live forever. He's sinless. He's perfect. So, you know, he didn't have a compulsory death like you and I did. He chose to die. This is powerful now. He chose to die, man. He gave his life and chose to die. It was agreed upon, right? He of his own will and decision became a human man, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and is alive and risen today. But that was a choice. You and I have no choice in death. Ultimately, every one of us will die because we are sinful. And again, in Jesus Christ, if we've trusted Jesus Christ, if we're clinging to Jesus Christ and we rely on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, then ultimately we'll, we'll spend eternity in heaven with God. And if we have not, we spend eternity in hell separated from God. That's what the scriptures teach. But again, Jesus's death was not compulsory like ours. Compulsory, right? And that's that's so important for us to understand. Um, now, he came into the world to die for the sins of the world. That's the reason he came. But once he was in the world, he did not have to die, nor would he have died. Again, he's he's perfect. He's sinless. The reason we die is because of sin. Now, again, as a good shepherd, it says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As pastors and teachers, um, as ministers, as, as, as leaders in the body of Christ, it's our job to increasingly lay down our lives. Now, not die. Um, you know, occasionally throughout history, the Lord has called people to give their lives, and that does happen. It still happens today. But for the vast majority of the body of Christ, the 99.9 percentile, we, we need to lay down our life in service of the people of God, right? And what does that mean? It means to selflessly serve the body of Christ. Now, as, as quote, professional ministers, those of us who make our living at this, this is essential. And we do live in a church culture where this has become less and less and less and less. Okay, we live in a, live in a culture. And again, what do we have? 1,100 or so denominations in Christianity? 1,100, that's not no joke. That's not no joke. I'm sorry. That's not a joke. Okay. 1100. How many can we name? Eight, nine, 10 uh, denominations, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Reformed, Anglican. See what I'm saying? There's 1100. I just named seven of them, right? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I could probably stop and think and name another six or seven of them. But yeah, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, you know, seven-day Adventists. So I think that's 10, right? There's 1,100, all right? The body of Christ is fractured. Um, you know, we have the little church buildings on every corner. Um, but we have very little agreement and unity. Um, so... Your job is to be a part of a good, solid, Bible-based community. A good, solid, Bible-based church, doesn't matter what it has, five people or 5,000, um, that you might be in fellowship, grow to know the Word of God, and live your life growing to know Christ, growing to love Him, and helping others do the same. Um, 
And and it's our our our, our responsibility again, and particularly as paid ministers, this, we get paid to do this to serve the flock, to serve the sheep, to serve God's people, and to, and to, and to lay out, and to give our life in that service. Again, I'm not saying give our life and die, although some have been called to that throughout history, um, but to die to ourselves, die to our own desires and our own wants and our own, um, you know, just uh, preferences. And, and this is hard. I mean, I, I fail in this. I think consistently. And Father, I do ask you to, to forgive us and help us as, as leaders in the church, as pastors and elders and, and teachers and uh, ministers, Father, to just to lay our lives down for the sheep more and more each day. Help us to follow the example, Father, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us that we might more and more follow the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. 13, the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. As I said in the in the church today, um, all over the world, there are countless thousands of ministers who are not genuine shepherds, but they're more hired hands. And oftentimes it's, not, what am I going to say? I'm going to say it's not their fault. You, you ever heard somebody say, you know, their mama called them into ministry, but God didn't. Um. Being being a full-time minister, being a minister who teaches the word of God is a, is a calling. And you're called by Jesus to do it, right? It's Jesus Christ that appoints them, right? In Ephesians 4, right? And he, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And it's a calling, and the calling ought to be evident, if you're, if you're a pastor today in the body of Christ, in any of the denominations, um, if you're an elder, if you're a deacon, if you're a minister, um, a bishop, whatever the titles we throw out there, um, and then they are just titles. They really don't mean a whole lot, although we'll be responsible for the titles. But oftentimes, you know, we try to, as ministers and pastors, we, we throw around the title as this, we ought to be respected for the title. No. We're responsible for it. Jesus didn't impress with our title, right? Does that make sense? Um, but are, are you a genuine minister of the gospel? Are you a pastor who's clearly been called by Jesus? Have you been hired by Jesus, so to speak? Or have you been come in by some other way? Because the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Uh, a genuine pastor called by God has a, 
has a substantial heart for the people of God. And he has a substantial heart for those who, who are not yet the people of God, right? Um, and, uh, you know, and, and this is a call for men and women, okay? Um, it, it's, it's our job as men and women, as leaders in the church, and, and I'm not talking about now as far as, you know, where women are supposed to be as far as being pastors in the body of Christ. That's, a, that's another conversation. But clearly, the Bible is clear that women are to grow up and to be leaders in the body of Christ and to exhort the body of Christ. I'm not talking about titles of pastor and everything else. That's a whole other conversation and, and a lot goes into that. Um, and in the office of being a pastor or apostle, or prophet, or evangelist, or pastor, or teacher. Um, but it's all of our job as men and women to care for the flock of God. And looking around, and this is a shame, right? But as far as I can tell, there's more women that genuinely care for the flock of God oftentimes than men. Um, and again, I'm not talking here about preaching in the pulpit, okay? Pulpit preaching is important. It's very important. But we're going to find that on the list of important things is not as high as we thought, okay? Obviously, that's what I do here. I'm preaching and teaching the Word of God because I believe it's, of, it's, 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 it's extremely important, all right? But, but serving the body of Christ, loving the people of God, right? Being an ambassador for Christ and loving people in Christ and encouraging them and building them up and being a father, a spiritual father and being a spiritual mother led by your heavenly father, right? Being led, the Holy Spirit is our guide and our counselor and our comforter. And we, for us to be a guide as men and women and counselor and comforter on a moment by moment, day by day basis, okay, is, is, is far more important than a pastor once a week teaching the Bible on Sunday. So again, don't get me wrong. The word of God must be taught. It's essential. That's why we do what we do. A lot of time and effort goes into teaching the word of God here twice a week. Um, I, and, and not only myself, but others, right? Stephen leads this up, but there's there's work that goes into to all of it. My daughter, Kristen, works hard on it. Um, so it's... It cannot be overstated how important the word of God is to be taught and exposited. But if we're teaching the word of God and we're not doing those other things, we're, you know, we're going to be surprised when we, when, when, when we stand before Jesus of how much we missed. Because the people, if we teach the word of God, and even though we teach it well, very well, none of us teach it perfectly, but if we teach it properly and well, but yet we don't, have a heart for the flock of God beyond just talking to them and preaching to them, then we have failed. We fail miserably and we ought to repent. And, and, and that spirit is alive and well in the church today, Father. And I ask you to forgive us and cleanse us of this unrighteousness, Father. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. If you're called by Jesus, to be in full-time ministry, and this is how you're paid, 
You're paid by the church, by the body of Christ, as I am. Then you, you, you ought to have a verifiable heart for the sheep, for the flock of God. And not just the flock in your little building, okay? Yes, we are responsible first to the flock in our building, but we're responsible to the kingdom of God. We're responsible to, 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 to all believers and those who would be believers, right? It's our job to evangelize and share the gospel and to lead people to Jesus Christ. Are you a shepherd today or are you a hired hand? We need to examine ourselves. And if we have a lot of qualities with just a hired hand, we just want to repent. We want to earnestly repent. Again, none of us are going to be Jesus. But Jesus is the chief shepherd, as it says in, in uh, 1 Peter 5. Here he's called the good shepherd, and he's perfect. He is the example how we're to follow. He lived with the flock every day. He didn't just talk to them once a week on Sunday. He knew their names. Again, if you're a shepherd today, a genuine shepherd called by God, a minister, a pastor, a teacher, an elder, a deacon, um, professionally, or if you're a life group leader, right? Um, or again, if you're just a leader in the body of Christ, man or woman, there ought to be a verifiable heart for the flock, verifiable, loving, compassionate, zealous heart for the flock. Now, a shepherd, right, he takes care of the sheep, but he also puts a, he's got that rod he carries, right? There ought to be a heart for the flock to see them walking with Christ. Make no mistake, it's not just a heart to enable the flock, okay? We don't enable we are supposed to be merciful and extend grace and compassion, Tommy, right? But in no way are we to enable. We're to exhort, rebuke, correct, Paul told us, right? Um, Paul told Timothy, what was it? First Timothy 4, right? Um, you know, correct, rebuke, and encourage, right? <laughs> correct. They don't listen to correction, rebuke. And you noticed in encourages at the end. What is that? First Timothy, second Timothy four. What is that? Verse, verse like three or something. Um, I mean, that, that, that's an important verse. I'm going to turn over there just to, um, just cause that's, you know, this, this is an important point. Um, all right. Here we are. Preach the word, verse Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. So clearly we're called to teach the word of God, right? But not just in the pulpit. If the only time you're teaching the word of God is in the pulpit, you're out of place. You ought to be teaching the word of God every day wherever you are. We don't teach our own opinions, our own thoughts, our own insights, our own desires. We teach the living word of God. So again, a part of this shepherd's job is to correct, rebuke, yes, encourage. And he goes on to say, with great patience and careful instruction. All right. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. 
I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Here you, you see this intimacy with Jesus, this relationship with Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Do you know you're a Christian today? Do you know that you're trusting and relying on Jesus? What does that mean? You know, Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I say this all the time, but it's not words that save us. It's Christ that saves us. But when we agree with the word of God, and we come before the word of God in humility, we humble ourselves and we simply say, you know, Lord Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinful man or a sinful woman, as the scripture says very clearly. Romans 3.23 says, everyone has sinned and falls short of you, Lord, and your standard. And Lord, I know I'm hopeless and helpless and I, I cannot save myself, but I believe that you are the son of God. And Lord Jesus, your word says in John 1.12 that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, that God the Father would become my heavenly father. Lord Jesus, you gave us your word. So Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And Lord, I know I'm a hopeless sinner, but I believe you came and lived a perfect life for me and died that horrible death for me. And I believe you're alive and risen. And I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith, trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. A Christian is someone who's who's come before the Lord and who's genuinely from their heart. Again, we use words to communicate, but it's in our heart that we believe. We confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Do you know Jesus? Does Jesus know you? He knows you, but are you one of his sheep? If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not clinging to him and trusting in him in, in the way I've just described, then rewind the tape and go back and, and receive Christ. Again, it's not just a rote thing. I'm not just, you know, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the genuineness and sincerity of our hearts that matter. But that's how you... Come before the Lord with that heart, agreeing with the scriptures, and you'll become one of Jesus' sheep. Even as one of Jesus' sheep, we're still sheep, but we're not lost anymore. We're still so ignorant and foolish in so many ways. But if you're not in Jesus Christ today, and only Jesus, you're utterly lost, and you're a sheep that's just wandering around, and only the good shepherd, verse 14, can save you bring you into relationship with the triune God and bring you to heaven when you die. Without Jesus, we have no hope. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So you see this, this intimate relationship with Jesus and the father, and it doesn't say, but the Holy Spirit as well we see in the scriptures. You see this incredible unity and beautiful relationship. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. 
that intimacy that Jesus has with the Father, you too have with your heavenly Father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. The more you grow to know Christ, it begins with receiving him and being saved from your sin. There's nothing we can do for that. But then after we've been saved, the more we spend devoting ourselves to Jesus Christ, the more we'll know him. The more we'll know him, the more we'll grow to be like him. The more we'll love him, the more we'll know his love. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So there's one flock, but there are there are many pens, but there are two specific pens. When he says here, I have other sheep that are not of this pen, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a probability that he's speaking about the Gentiles, right? Uh, remember, there are two, two types of people in the Bible. Okay? There are Jews, and there's everyone who's not a Jew who are Gentiles. Jesus obviously was Jewish, but he died for the sins of the entire world, not just the sins of Jewish people. So when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen, he's saying, I must bring them also. There's a probability he's speaking about the Gentiles and that his death and resurrection is for the sins of the whole world and not just the Jewish nation. They too will listen to my voice. And there should be one flock and one shepherd. And now 2,000 years later, there are obviously, um, you know, countless more Gentiles than there are Jews, right? Israel is one small nation of Jewish people, and obviously they have spread around the world, but the entire rest of the world is Gentiles. And so it's important that there's one flock. Jesus, the, the, the body of Christ is one flock, Lauren, in Jesus. But there are two pens as far as one Jew, Jewish pen, as he says here, and one Gentile. But we all come into one flock and one shepherd, and we all need him equally. And he's all of our shepherd. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. Have you heard the voice of Jesus calling you that you would come in to the sheep pen and that we would be of one flock? Verse 17. This is interesting. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. He says the reason my father loves me, it's obviously the father loves us unconditionally. Uh, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, they all love us unconditionally. But, but that love is moved in greater measure when, when he sees our character. So again, I want to be careful here. God loves us unconditionally. Right? Your heavenly father loves you unconditionally. But when Jesus says, the reason my father loves me, he, he's saying that when the father sees the son of his own will, of his own decision, stand in the gap for humanity and take on himself the wrath of God the father in such incredible love for a sinful people, the love of the Father is moved and spurred, just like it is with our children, right? We love our children unconditionally, but when my daughters, Kristen and Lauren, like are living for Christ or they do something so selfish or beautiful, 
I, I, my, my love is moved into a different dimension, right? I love them unconditionally. But when, they, when their character and their, is growing and they're more selfless, my love is spurred for them. And so that's what he's saying here. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. How far have I gone, Stephen? All right, I'm going to try to wrap this up. Um, it's gone 40 minutes. Mm. This is good. My father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. Jesus is God. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Jesus here says he raised himself from the dead. Now, it's interesting. Throughout the scriptures, and I should have had these, these references. I'm sorry. We see that Jesus raised himself from the dead. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. And the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So, again, we consistently see the work of the triune God in redemption, right? In the saving work of Jesus Christ. It's God the Son, Jesus Christ, that became a human man, right? But, you know, then he did everything under the Father, led by the Holy Spirit. So all of the Trinity we see in the life, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, right? Remember when, when Mary's conceived, it's the Holy Spirit that comes on her and, and makes her pregnant. Jesus has authority, okay? Jesus raised himself from the dead. There's a misconception in the body of Christ, okay, that Jesus needed the Father, and, you know, if we're not careful about it, we get preaching and stuff and we say things. I've often said Jesus gave his, you know, Jesus was punished in your place. He gave his life in your place. Um, you know, he was crucified in your place. He died in your place. And then he went to hell in your place. And he's been raised from the dead. But when Jesus went to hell, Jesus didn't, wasn't overcome by hell he wasn't tortured in hell like we would have been. Jesus conquered hell. Make no mistake. When God the Son entered hell, never had terror struck hell like on that moment and in that day. Hell was utterly trembling when our king entered hell. So, there's, a, there's this idea that Jesus had to be tortured in hell, which, which again, in, in my opinion, is not biblical, okay? Um, Jesus, the scripture said, went to hell, but in no way was it necessary for Jesus to suffer in hell. Jesus did not have to be rescued from hell. Jesus is God. When Jesus entered hell, yeah. Yeah, just like on earth, right? You remember when, when, when the, the demoniac came up and said there was a legion of demons in him, right? Like a thousand demons or something. And they, they pleaded with him, we know who you are, son of God. Do not torture us, right? And then they asked for permission. To go into the pigs and they go into the pigs and the, and the massive herd goes in and drowns itself. 
They know who the boss is. And they were terrified of him when he walked the earth. And make no mistake, when Jesus entered hell, there was a terror in hell they did not know possible. Okay? Jesus has authority. He lays it down of his own will. He takes it up of his own will. No one takes his life. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and take it up. This command I received from my father, the entire work of redemption, again, is a cooperation of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All God. And we'll talk about that more another time. But it's, it's important we understand when we say Jesus went to hell, that Jesus did not suffer in hell. Jesus didn't need to suffer in hell as a part of our redemption. He conquered hell. Verse 19. At these words, the Jews were again divided, again, either on one side or the other with Jesus. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? You know, that's not a very complimentary statement. If, um, if this was going to be made up, Again, there's, this, is, this is what's so incredible about the Bible. They actually just said this about Jesus. Many of them said he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But John, in faithfulness, is just recording what happened, led by the Spirit of God. My point is that if you were making this up, you would leave these kind of things out. But the Bible just puts forth what happened, and how it happened. Verse 21, but others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And I was studying from the, as I was studying for this, these uh, scholars made a good point. They point to Jesus opening the eyes of the blind man when they say, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So it's, they don't just point to the miracle. They say the sayings. So, you know, Jesus's words. These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. A man possessed by a demon doesn't speak this way. A man possessed by a demon doesn't teach the word of God, speak the word of God. And nor in combination with that, do a miraculous healing. So what am I saying? If a miraculous healing comes, but it comes out of someone that's slandering the word of God, it's not of God in any way. It's demonic. Now, again, we don't know what powers demons have specifically and not. Generally, you don't ever see them doing miracles like this. But the point is, there is no miracle of God if it's not in line with the word of God. And if the man or woman of God does something and it's not in line with the word of God and the son of God, then they're not from God. You see what I'm saying? You can't do a miracle and then say, you know, it's, there is no Jesus, got nothing to do with Jesus. You can't. Do you see that? But others said these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Okay. Number one, a man who's speaking the word of God like this and the way he talks, this is not at all a man who's who has a demon. And then secondly, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So it has to be both. Don't be deceived, right? 
Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We, we thank you for your love. As always, above all, we thank you for Jesus. Father, we love you and we bless you today. Holy Spirit, we just uh, we ask you to go ahead of us now, giving us eyes that see and ears that hear. Convict the word to our hearts. We thank you for it. Jesus, we love you and bless you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.